Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're talking about a new exhibition at the Bodleian Libraries in Oxford in the UK, which celebrates touching, tasting, seeing, smelling and hearing books. Delayed for two years, the Sensational Books exhibition is now open to the public. It celebrates a sensory appeal of reading physical books and also explores the accessibility of reading for those who are sensory impaired. Our guest is Kate Rudy, Professor of Art History at the University of St Andrews, who is one of the co-curators of this exhibition. Welcome, Kate. Thanks so much for having me, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. I'm pretty excited to talk about this this exhibition. It looks like a lot of fun. So perhaps I can start by saying, um, is it a celebration of physical objects, of the book as a physical object? Oh, it absolutely is. Uh, there are books that you can rub and, or imagine rubbing at least. Uh, there are things to smell. There are flip books that you can flip through. There are um, there are medieval manuscripts and lots of early modern things and lots of contemporary artists' books. And each of them touches and tickles a different sense. And I mean, what we're really asking is what can the physical book do that a Kindle just can't do? How do Kindles and the screen culture that's been encompassing our lives for the last few years, how do they fall short? And what is it that we really want from the, the physical experience of handling a book and hearing the pages rumple and, and rubbing the spines of books and sort of treating them like pets or lovers or friends or uh, just things that you can uh, nuzzle up to in a train or in bed or wherever you happen to be. So I am I am really celebrating and we are really celebrating the um, the physicality of books. All right. So the first um, the first sensory appeal I thought of, because I'm in the used book business, that is the used book smell. So how how is smell represented in the exhibition? We have a few books that have distinctive smells, and a couple of people named Roger Michael and Alexa Karnowski simulated those scents for us and bottled them so that visitors can uh, can approach a whole wall of scents and use a, a um, this little dopper bottle and dump a, a few drops of it out, and it smells smells like uh, a book, book, for example, that Tolkien owned that he might have dragged to the bar with him that smells like uh, smoke and beer and Middle Earth, perhaps. And, and so we've been able to uh, create these scents uh, with the help of a few scientists here at, uh, at Oxford. We also have a book that is a scratch and sniff bacon cookbook. So all of the recipes in the book have, have to do with bacon or include bacon as one of the ingredients. And there's a scratch and sniff plate on the front cover of the book. I imagine a Tolkien book would smell like a mixture of the Eagle and Child pub where I used to drink with the Inklings, <laughs> smoke and beer, right. and then that, that sort of stale college room smell of, like a, you know, yeah. of a room that's you know, 500 years old. Well, you know, I, 
I smelled all of these things because I've only just seen the exhibition uh, in its full state today because I flew in to see it. Um, I, I worked on the, the installation a bit, but I just got to smell the smells for the first time. But unfortunately, I had COVID about four weeks ago and my, my sense of smell hasn't come back to me fully. So only uh, a tinge of Middle Earth really came through the, the <laughs> dulled sensation that COVID has let me, left me with. But I think that with COVID, our senses of smells have, have been really diminished in many cases. And it helps to, to practice and to really think about uh, the, the smells that we're smelling, but also to smell some strong stuff. Uh, one of the other books that is available in this uh, artificial form is a Ethiopian gospel manuscript, which smells like wood smoke and incense and some cooking smells. And, and so that is a really strong smell that I was uh, able to smell the original, uh, the, the book version of, not the artificial version, uh, before we put it in the cabinet. Right. So uh, I really love the smells of books myself, and I always sniff them when I'm taking notes on them. Indeed. So talking of smell, there's a, a rather infamous book called 20 Slices of American Cheese by Ben Denzer. Now, that's a very odd book that I've discussed before in this show that's made from processed cheese slices. I believe it's in the exhibition. Does that book have a smell? Well, well, that book, um, that book has its own refrigerator. So it's on a turning carousel, a little lazy Susan inside of a fridge with a glass door. And it rotates slowly around so you can see it from all four sides. And it basically smells like refrigerator because you can't really open it up. But processed cheese itself doesn't smell like too much because it's sort of hermetically sealed inside those plastic, uh, those, those, you know, plastic sleeves. I, mean, I remember as a kid, we never had processed cheese in my house, but I would go to neighbors' houses and they would have it. It seemed like something special. And it, it was, you know, something you could write on with greasy ketchup and mustard. It was that kind of processed food uh, that turns into a writing implement. I'd write on the cheese, I think, because it's a bit like a book plate that an author signs. You could uh, slip it into a traditional book, perhaps. Wow. I, I hear that somewhere at the Bodleian, there's rumor that somebody uh, in, I don't know, 17th or 18th century had used a piece of cheese as a bookmark, but that might be an old husband's tale. I spoke to a bookseller once who once discovered a piece of dried bacon inside a used book that appeared to have been used as a bookmark, but that that's, that's silly, very oily. Well, I mean, that's interesting to use something oily like that because uh, it'll leave a stain on the page, but that's not dissimilar from one of the manuscripts that's in the exhibition. There is a large book that was used for reading at mealtimes in Reading Abbey in the 12th century. And what the reader did uh, is, is to drop a little bit of wax at the end of the reading session so that he would know where he had left off and he could pick up again. And then he scraped out that wax uh, each time and then put a fresh drop in at the end of the next session. So in effect, he was using something like a, a medieval post-it note. Right, okay, indeed. Um, so one of the themes is that the exhibition is accessible for visitors who are sensory impaired. Can you tell us about how you've adapted that for those type of people? Yes, 
So uh, while we were putting the exhibition together, we had a number of handling sessions for the blind and seeing impaired uh, and, and feel how they felt in the hands, the weight of them, the way that the, the parchment sounds different uh, depending on the size of the book and the kind of parchment, the thickness of the parchment and how dog-eared the parchment is. And we, we really concentrated on the sounds of these books. You can imagine that a large manuscript made on uh, a very large piece of calf skin is a bit stiff and that the kind of fine parchment that you would need to use for a small prayer book would be much thinner and more supple. And a second quality of, of books is that they tend to muffle their own noise so that uh, if you if you ruffle through the pages that uh, the book absorbs some of its own noise while it's it's creating it. So we, we thought about those and we invited uh, guests, seeing impaired guests to, to think along with us. We also uh, were fortunate to have some funding from um, the Bridge Foundation of Scotland who helped support us in um, hiring a number of contemporary artists from around Britain and actually ones from America to make uh, installations of sorts that would appeal to people who are sensory impaired. Uh, so for example, we have Jill Partington's uh, flip books that you need to use your body, you need to use your, your sense of proprioception in order to flip through them. And they are like a moving image, like a movie as it were. And she's done one with the sense of taste in which we watch somebody swallowing a piece of paper whole and sort of chewing on it. Uh, and we, we see this act of chewing and swallowing as we flip through the book with our fingers. But the book itself sounds interesting as we flip through it. There's a lot of uh, imagining or even creating real sounds of, of ruffling through books. We have two artists. Andrew Albin and Amy Sterley, who have created an installation that combines origami with a sound project. And that is especially appealing to perhaps sensory impaired people. Uh, the, the origami that Andrew makes, it, he uses a parchment that he scores in about oh, several hundred places at odd angles. And from those score marks, he's able to make the object just pop into place. And the object that he's created is backlighted so that we can see all these fold marks and all of these um, protrusions and evaginations uh, in, in this, in this uh, big piece of parchment. But he's also supplied us with a piece of this folded parchment so that anybody can um, touch it and feel it and, and 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 run his or her fingers along the score marks and pop the protrusions out and we can do that while listening to um, a soundtrack that includes the sounds of different kinds of activities of folding and scoring and book flipping like i've just been um, mentioning so those are examples of some of the ways that we've tried to tickle the senses of, of people, not just emphasizing the sense of sight, which is the thing that nearly every exhibition uh, has at its disposable, 
disposal when it you know puts objects in a vitrine behind glass but right. we've uh, had quite a few things that you can touch and feel and smell the bacon cookbook you can uh, you can touch yourself we also have a table of books that are relevant to the exhibition including one of my favorites um, having spent some time in Oregon, uh, there is a self-published author who wrote a book called uh, Loving, what is the title of the book exactly? But the idea of this book is that uh, it's a choose-your-own-adventure novel for adults, where you choose a series of really bad possibilities, and none of them leads to a happy-ever-after happy scenario. When um, when you open a large medieval manuscript what noise does it make does it creak oftentimes if there's just a little bit of moisture damage around the edges the the parchment it uh, it, it the proteins don't get a little bit gelatinous then they harden and it's a little like touching bacala or salt cod and it's slightly crumply and so each folio as you as you turn it makes a creak and a crackle and then it, it muffles its own noise and i like that and i like to flick the corner slightly with my fingernail and it each page will make it a, have a slightly different pitch in fact wow Okay. It's one of the um, pleasures of being a medieval art historian. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I, I see a lot of them on Twitter talking about <laughs> touching and feeling and discussing their their, uh, their manuscripts. Um, a more yeah. modern book, um, Index by Andy Warhol. So um, that's a famous uh, art book, highly collectible, and it's got a pop-up mechanism. So I'm thinking pop-ups are have got to be a big part of your, um, your exhibition. Uh, can you describe this book to people who don't know it? Right. So Andy Warhol in 1967 produced this magnificent book and it has each each page has some activity associated with it. So it has a balloon that you can blow up. It has a stage that pops out, which is a stage where rock and roll bands um, recorded music and the page the opening that we've uh, selected for the show is one that has tabs of paper that uh, seem to have been dipped in lsd and that's why we included it in the section on taste so it's a book that you are supposed to taste and it's guaranteed to um, give you an extra special experience if you do and this particular uh, page with the tabs has been uh, licked in a way that suggests that somebody has been quite curious and has has tried in fact licking it so that's a, a pop-up with a sensation that uh, most kids books don't have you've mentioned paperbacks a few times and being dog-eared and things like that now most books are portable uh, and I'm thinking especially of paperbacks, which were you know, designed to be read on the train. Um, so that must help them become important culture objects, I'm thinking. I'm thinking if I go on a road trip and I take a battered old copy of On the Road, that's, that's, a, that's a sensory experience to have that battered old thing so close to me on my, on my trip. I, I really wanted to have an, uh, an exhibition catalog for this show, although we ended up not making one. But one of the ideas we, we, we tossed around was instead of selling the exhibition catalog, 
we would produce these exhibition catalogs and simply leave them on trains around Britain so that people could serendipitously encounter them. Uh, but we wanted to, you know, not have some silly object that you could buy with filthy lucre in a gift shop, but rather one that you could um, discover by um, by chance on a train. And I think you're right that reading on trains is just one of the biggest pleasures on earth. And yeah, I, do, does that make books more important cultural objects than say a Kindle version of the same thing? Um, quite possibly. I think that it's one of the greatest gifts that you can give to a, a stranger, a future stranger, is to write in a book and then uh, give the book away and just let it let it live this this uh, life among strangers yeah. with your marginal notes. I think my copy of the Golden Notebook by Doris Lessing, on, in which I took I don't know 500 notes and pen, is uh, is is probably traveling up and down California right now as we speak. Right. I always compare books to movies. So traditionally, you would go to a cinema to see a movie. But that has changed in the last 10 years, where now you can also watch a movie on the train. So the the landscape is very much changing. But yeah, I, I totally agree. There's, there's nothing nicer than reading a book on the train. I'm so grateful for the quiet car. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay leather, fur, rubber, asbestos, these are all crazy types of bindings that I've seen over the years at A Books. Um, can you speak to the importance of a book's binding when you're thinking oh. about how a book feels? Oh, yes. So we have we have a book, a huge book that's covered in seal skin. And I've resisted the temptation to to rub it in the direction of the pile and the direction of the hair but apparently one of its early users or many of its early users couldn't resist that temptation and a lot of the hair is just worn off and it's uh, you know plucked down to the leather but uh only only some of that that steel skin remains so it turns the book into something that you want to pick up and you want to touch uh quite a bit there are what do we have? Um, there are some terrific uh, examples of embroidered book bindings in this exhibition, one owned by Elizabeth I with bobbles and protrusions and metallic threads and bits of velvet with, with its silk pile that you, um, there, there's something about touching velvet against the direction that it wants to be where it makes that little jerky sensation with your fingers that that micro terrain of the velvet which is just so incredibly pleasurable we have a book uh which is raymond chandler's um uh short story which is called smart alec kill which was published in 1977 and this little paperback actually harbors a different book inside its cover it actually harbors a a bomb making manual so that you can read it and people think you're reading a, a fairly innocent short story but it's actually a handbook on explosives so what the book looks like on the outside is is um you know some sometimes really quite deceptive there's also a book that has hollowed 
about pages that you can hide things inside it. Actually, in my office, I have stashed uh, my old wedding ring and a bunch of other jewelry and stuff. And that is in my office in St. Andrews. But you can't tell from um, just standing in my office which book is is harboring all the jewels. And Yeah, I mean, the asbestos Stephen King books, are those books are worth thousands. Uh, sorry, no, yeah, there's an asbestos Stephen King book, and there's also an asbestos uh copy of Fahrenheit 451 that is is also a very collectible book but I'm also intrigued by oh, the books that... that are in rubber and fur and those mm -hmm. sort of things they're very unusual bindings that they stick out mm -hmm. they really do um you know there there are some really spectacular medieval bindings there's we have in the exhibition a bat book because they hang on your belt upside down like a bat but when you need to call their pages into use they unfold like bat's wings and bat books were um were used by surgeons and people who needed to know uh the positions of the sun and the stars and the moon in order to perform phlebotomy or bloodletting in the late Middle Ages. And so they needed to have this information at their fingertips and hanging from their belt at all times. But those books are, are terrific because they, they, they actually hang uh, you know, on your abdomen so that they can be um, close at hand at all times. And they have a completely different form than the codex that we usually uh, associate with books. Right, right. Um sounds like the ultimate portable book really if it's got a little hook on it, it is it is the ultimate portable book another kind of really unusual portable book that we have in the show is a nine meter long roll it's an english roll and it's late medieval possibly 15th century or early 16th and it has hundreds of crosses inscribed on it and the crosses are in brown ink that looks, that imitates what dried blood would look like. And that roll has little holes at the end. And it was probably designed to be wrapped around the body of somebody who was ill or ailing so that this, this roll would protect them and help them heal. So it's apotropaic or talismanic. And so we've displayed that uh, wrapped around a, a mannequin. So maybe it's, it's well, portable, but I guess an ill person isn't going to be moving around too much. So uh, portable, but with limited mobility. Indeed. Okay, goodness, you've listed so many uh, highlights. What is your personal favorite? What book is your personal favorite from the exhibition? Oh, my goodness. I, I have so many favorites. I really like... Well, I do like the arsenic book. In the mid 19th century, in the 1850s, there was a rage for using green dye to dye fabric in this extremely bright, bold green emerald color. Uh, and so somebody invented this new uh, recipe for green dye. And there were curtains made out of it and, and sleeves for dresses and book covers. So cloth book covers and we have 
one of those on display, which is the children's gardening book. But the only problem with this green dye is that it's made with arsenic as one of the main ingredients of it. And so it'll slowly kill you as you handle this, this book. I didn't really pick it up. A lot of people lick their fingers when they turn the page. So that would be rather deadly. Yes, yes, yes. I really don't recommend that, um, licking, licking the page. So. As a medievalist, I feel obligated to also have at least one favorite that is a medieval manuscript. Um, there is a small Psalter that has uh, a big letter S and imagine a big initial S in a medieval manuscript. And that S forms two chambers at the top lump of the S and the bottom lump of the S. And the illuminator has used the shape of the in order to show an image of earth and heaven. So earth at the bottom and heaven at the top. And in the bottom of the S, there's a soul just desperately praying and praying and praying to try to get to heaven. And at the top of the S is the image of the, of the celestial zone. But what the reader has done, what a late medieval reader has done, is to lick his or her finger and push that image of the soul upward as if helping the soul to achieve uh, this, this heaven in the future. And so that the image of the soul is completely rubbed away. And so somebody has uh, tried to uh, create the narrative with his or her finger uh, by wetting it and pushing the picture around. So it's an analog swipe. It is an analog swipe. Wow. I guess the person yeah. swiped swiped up rather than swiped what is it left. Yeah. All right, Kate, one final question, which we ask all our guests, and that is what book or books are you currently reading? Oh, my goodness. So on the flight this morning, I read two books. I read uh, George's uh, Baudelaire's book called The Codex and Crafts in Late Antiquity, which is all about how um, all kinds of crafts of wood making and textiles and uh, knitting and sewing all come together in the production of the early codex and that codices uh, technologies were, were inseparable uh, from the technologies of all of these other spheres of human cultural endeavor. So that's one of the things I was reading. And the other thing I was reading in the plane is um, Chimamanda Ngozi-Adaki's book, uh, which is a book of short stories called The Thing Around Your Neck. I really love short stories uh, because they are about the length of the attention span that I have right now as my world becomes ever more fragmented. <laughs> so one for work and one for pleasure then. Exactly. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. That's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you to Kate Rudy, Professor of Art History at the University of St. Andrews for joining us today. It's been great talking to you, Richard. Thanks so much for having me on. No worries. Kate is the co-curator of the Sensational Books exhibition, which is found in the Western Library at the Bodleian in Oxford, and it runs until the 4th of December. And you can find out more information on the Bodleian website. My name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you all again soon.